0: Turn your Bibles, trust you have your Bibles with you this morning, Mark chapter number 8, we continue our study, uh, the servant Savior, we have come to a very crucial time in our study uh, in the story of our Lord as He's walking upon earth, and and we've come to a very crucial time, and it's a a bit of a a change of, I'm not going to say focus, but a change of understanding in the life of the disciples, and as we are now just two Sundays away from Easter, um, we see here in Jesus is beginning to put the focus upon the cross, upon the cross of Calvary, and that's where we want to be for the next several services together, and we see that beginning to take place when nearly two and a half years have passed, and the disciples have been walking with Christ, and now he is facing just in a A short period of time facing Calvary's tree and facing the rejection and the suffering and all that encompasses all of that. And we'll look at that in the days to come. But this morning, I want us to see again the thought and the fact that He is a servant Savior. And this entire text and really all of Mark's gospel is pointing to the fact that He is, Jesus Christ is a servant. The fact that he has come as a servant to save, and what we're going to see this morning, and what we'll see for the next couple Sundays, is how he come, how he came rather to do that, how he has come to save and to serve, and what all of this entails. Here, Mark chapter number eight, and Caleb read the entire text this morning, but I want us to see. Beginning in verses 27 through 31. And those again, we'll look at those verses. We noted several things out of them last week. But I want to come to it again. And really spend our time out of verse number 31. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples as he's walking along the way. He asked his disciples saying unto them, whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, and some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth, and saith unto them, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And we'll talk a little bit about that. verse number 31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. Would you mark in your Bibles that word must there? He must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders, and the chief priests, and the scribes. And although it's not supplied in the text out of verse number 31, but I, I think biblically it would not do harm to the text but to say this and put the must there. And he must be killed. And again, we'll add it for emphasis out of the latter part of verse number 31. He must suffer. He must be killed. And note out of the very last phrase there. And after three days, he must arise again. Wow, what an amazing truth this is that Jesus now begins to unfold before his disciples. We have come, as I mentioned earlier, to a very crucial point in the life of those followers of Christ. The disciples of Jesus. We noted it last week that this would, might be something called the midterm exam time for the disciples. They've been with the Lord now for the two and a half years. And they've seen and they heard everything that Jesus has had to, to say. They've heard the preaching. They've seen the miracles. It has been amazing what God has done. It's been nothing short of it really is miraculous. No one else has done what Jesus has done. And they're asking, Jesus asks the question, whom do men say that I am? And we know up to this point that the deniers, the religious crowd, the, uh, the ones, the rejectors, they say he's John the Baptist, he's Elias, he's one of the prophets. And by the way, all of those did miracles also, and all of those did miraculous things as well. But they didn't get it quite right. They didn't get it quite right. Uh, And so after walking with Jesus all this time, he asks the questions. They are demanding questions. Only two questions in the exam. Who do men say that I am? Out of verse number 27. And out of verse number 25, after asking that, he turns to his disciples and he says, But whom say ye that I am? The first question was asked, not so that... An omniscient Christ might gain knowledge for himself he's omniscient he's all knowing there is this is not something he didn't already know he is he knows what men are saying he's he's come to the times when uh, he's been called the things, they said, the things you're doing are by Beelzebub, the the, the the devils. He hath a devil. This is how these things are taking place. Jesus knew full well what the crowd was saying. He knows all things. But Jesus asked this question of his disciples so that they might know. And so that they might consider what people are saying They might consider what the re- religious establishment of the day are saying about Christ. And all that's transpired over these past two and a half years. Jesus, the master teacher. He asks, who do men say that I am? And he asks his disciples, whom say ye that I am? Jesus here, in asking these two questions... He's wanting his disciples to see what the world is saying and hear what the world is saying with regards to who Christ is. And then he asks, in essence, do you believe what they're saying? You hear what they're all saying. You know their opinions of things. Do you believe the same thing they are saying? Do you believe what they believe about me? After walking with him all this time. Do you believe what they believe? Do you believe? uh, Or do you believe what I've taught you? Do you believe the miracles? The teaching? The preaching? Do you believe what I've said? Or do you believe what they have said? Do you believe that I'm John the Baptist? Elias? Or one of the prophets? Do you agree with them? Or do you disagree with them? What say ye? Whom say ye that I am? There's a demanding question here. We noted it last week, but let's carry it a little further. Not only do we see a demanding question, whom say ye that I am, but we see a divine proclamation. A divine proclamation. Out of verse number 29, and he saith unto them, Whom say ye that I am? And Peter, here's the divine proclamation. And Peter answered and said to them, Thou art the Christ. A divine proclamation. Thou art the Christ. Matthew's account of this. Says thou art the Christ. The son of the living God. What Peter is saying here. Is Lord. They are all wrong. Uh, Lord most if not all. Have not figured it out yet. Many are denying it. The religious crowd are flat out rejecting it. Lord, we know who you are. You are not John the Baptist. You are not Elias. You are not one of the prophets. No, Lord, you are the Christ. The anointed one. The Messiah. The son of the living God. You are the one that's come to save. To seek and to save. You're the savior. Uh, No man can do the things that you have done except he be sent from God. You see, that... Those titles, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nobody can do what you've done unless that individual is sent from God. And you are deity. You are the Son of the living God. You're deity manifested in human flesh. Wow, what a proclamation this is. Peter's answer is 100% correct. Do you believe what they believe, Peter? Peter, as a spokesman for the twelve disciples, says, No, Lord, this is what we know to be true. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 100% correct. Now, how did they know this? How did they know this? Jesus noticed that when, Jesus, when Peter answers this question, in verse number 30, he charged them that they tell no man of him. Jesus did not deny what Peter had just said. He did not deny what Peter had just said. If he was not the Christ, the Son of the living God, then he would have denied it, but he did not deny it. In saying what he said, he confirmed it. As a matter of fact, in the Gospels, many times when they sought to kill Jesus, do you remember a number of times when they sought to lay hands upon him? They were going to stone him. And each and every time, they did so for this purpose, because he claimed to be one with God. He claimed to be the Son of God. He is the Son of God. They understood what Jesus was saying. And because of what Jesus was saying, they saw it as blasphemy. But it was not blasphemy at all. He was in fact the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he says to Peter... He says in Matthew chapter 16, hold your place and let's just go over there. Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 17. Verse number 16 of Matthew's account. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus again affirms what Peter has said. Verse number 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Simon, lest you think that you came to this truth on your own, and because of your own intellect. Simon, I want you to know that the only way you got the question right, the only way that you know this, is because God the Father has revealed it to you. God the Father's revealed it to you. You see, this truth has been revealed. Uh, the truth of God. The truth of love. The truth of sacrifice. The truth of a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. The truth of who God is. Well, this truth was revealed. Revealed to mankind. Not because of mankind's intellect. Not because of mankind's ability to set in a college course and set through a, some classes on theology and by the way all the rabbis and all the, the, the teachers, the religious leaders of that day they have set through all the courses but they've missed it completely missed it and Peter got it right because Jesus Christ confirmed it and he got it right because it had been revealed by the Father now Right now I can almost just I can almost just hear some five point Calvinist coming along, carrying his tulip with him, and saying, See right here, right here, the Father revealed it to him, but what about all the others? You see, God you can hear him just saying, God chose to reveal himself to the twelve disciples, and they got it. But the rest didn't. He chose not to reveal himself to all the rest. Just the twelve. They got it wrong. All the rest got it wrong. This proves unconditional election. Unconditional election. That's the, the teaching of the Calvinist mindset that says that God chooses some people for heaven. And at the same time he chooses some people for hell. That's the teaching. Unconditional election. It's God's sovereignty. So he may have chose this person or he may have chose that person. But he didn't choose everybody. I'm glad the Bible says whosoever will. I remember my wife's father who had 80 some years of age and lived a life far, far away from God. When things to be spoken of the Lord would come about, he'd say, stop it now. I don't want to hear any of that. And it was said of her father, by some in the family, he can't be saved. He's not one of the elect. He hasn't been chosen. But I remember very well sitting, as his health was declining, sitting in the living room and across, as he lied upon a couch, and sitting on another chair across the way, saying, Bill, if you die today, you're 100% sure to heaven's your home. He said, "No, oh, I don't know that. Bill, wouldn't you like to know that? Yes, I'd like to know that. My wife said she'd never heard her father pray. But he bowed his head and he received Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Oh, he chose Christ. He chose the Lord. The teaching that God chooses some for heaven and some for hell is not in the Bible and it's not right at all. I'll go as far as to say it's a damnable heresy. I will assure you that there is no Calvinism at all in these verses. There's no Calvinism taught in the Word of God. Anywhere in the Word of God. It's not there. It's not there at all. The same revelation that Peter got. The same revelation as to who Jesus was had been given not only to Peter and the other disciples, but the same revelation that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son, is the uh, the Son of the living God, had been given to all men, been given to all men that have seen and heard Jesus. The same revelation had been given to all up to this point. All that saw his miracles, all that heard his teaching, the same revelation had been given. The only difference was that the disciples chose to believe it while the others chose to reject it. That's the difference. In John 1, it says this. In when the true light, which, is, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. That is the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world, get it, knew him not. Uh, the revelation was there. He's the light of the world. But they rejected him. They knew Him not. Not because they did not know Him, but because they rejected Him. He came into His own, and the Bible says in John 1, His own received Him not. They received Him not. The light was there, but they said no. The choosing is not with God. He chose it fixed this way in the whosoever will. God chose the whosoever will. So the choosing of who goes to heaven and who goes to hell is not in God's choosing because He chose whosoever will. Let him drink of the water of life freely. The choosing then is with man. The choosing is with man. Some hear, some see, some understand the word of God, some know the power of God, And then some call upon Jesus Christ. And they call upon Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They call upon the Lord and they receive salvation. While others, many others, so many more. They hear and they see the teaching of the word of God. And rather than call, they scoff. They say, another day. I've got plenty of time. It's really not true. They scoff and they reject salvation. Peter, you got it right. That's exactly who I am, Jesus says. That's exactly who I am. And then from Matthew 16's account, we see that Jesus reveals another truth here. He reveals another truth. Verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then verse number 18, he begins to reveal another truth. But I say unto thee, that thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if we go back, uh, I'll not turn now, but we'll go back. He began in verse number 21, and that's what we see out of, Mark's account. And from that time forth, Jesus began to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem. And to suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be killed and raised again the third day. Jesus had more to teach them. He begins to reveal another truth. He says, I'm going to build my church I'm going to build my church, verse 18. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Here Jesus is revealing to them the foundation of the church. The truth of God's church, the true church. He reveals this truth. It's the truth of the bride of Christ. The truth of the family of God. The truth of the called out assembly. Those who are born again. All those who are born again in Christ. The the truth of what that church is. and, And he says, I'm going to build my church. He's not talking about building a building. I'm thankful for buildings. I like buildings that have soft pews and air conditioning and heat. Amen? But Jesus is not talking about building a building here. He's not talking about starting another religious denomination here. He's not talking about a universal church here. He's talking about his bride. The bride of Christ. The family of God. Look at what Jesus says again out of verse number 18. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This verse verse does not teach that Peter is the first pope. It does not teach this. This verse does not teach the establishment of a pope. This verse has nothing to do with a pope whatsoever, as some try to make it to do. This verse, you don't see the name in there, do you? You don't see anything about that. What do you see in this verse? What is Christ going to build? He's going to build His church. This verse is about the church. About the foundation upon which the church is to be built upon. Now granted, the church has many ministers within it. But there's only one foundation. And let me preface what I just said by saying uh, the Pope is not one of the ministers of Christ's church. That may shock a whole lot of people. But you don't have to look very far and read very long to understand that he's no saint. He's no saint. Anybody partner with the things that are being partnered with today is not Bible. So he's not talking about the establishment. And and by the way, when I'm talking about a pope, he's not even talking about a preacher. He's not talking about a preacher here. God's not saying, I'm going to build my church upon a preacher. It's not the the preacher. It's not the man. It's not the the, the individual. I'm going to build my church upon the truth of God's Word. Upon who He is. He said, I'm going to build my church upon a rock, the foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is... Do you know the verse? Jesus Christ. No other foundation. I'm going to build my church upon a foundation that no man has laid. No man can lay another foundation. But that foundation is only and completely upon Jesus Christ. Jesus did not say uh, upon thee, Peter, will I build my church. But he said upon this rock. Peter, I'm the one. It is I. I. I am the Christ. I am the Son. I am the Son of the living God. Je, excuse me, Jesus is the rock. The Greek word there is Petra. It's a, it's a rock. This word Petra is a rock. It's a mass of a rock, it's a, it's a Gibraltar kind of rock, meaning that it's unmovable, it's unsinkable, it's unshakable, it's a forever kind of rock. Isaiah 28 and 16, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. God's true church is built not upon Peter as its head, but upon the confession that Peter made concerning who Jesus Christ was. The truth that Peter had just confessed. And brought out. Psalm 61 and 2. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Wow. You know who that is? That's none other than Jesus Christ. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. This rock is not Rome. This rock is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's this rock. That's what this church is built upon. That's what God's true church is built upon. Go with me to to Mark. Back to Mark chapter number 8 and verse number 30. The Bible says that when Peter got it right, when he made the confession here, when he he said the truth, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says in verse number 30, And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Now, why in the world would he charge them that they tell nobody? Uh, Jesus has told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, hasn't he? That's why we're having a missions conference, is it not? But why is he saying here, don't go say anything. Don't go proclaiming all of these things yet. The reason for that, the reason for this is that they've got some things right. But there's more to learn. There's more to learn. Uh, They've passed the midterms, so to speak. But there's still a whole other semester of teaching to go. There's more to get. By the way, Isaac is leaving today and be going home for spring break. Come back for the last chapter, brother. More to get. But he's saying to his disciples, you got part of it right. You got some of it right and you passed it to this point, but there's more to get. There's more to learn. There's still another semester of teaching left to go. This is not yet graduation time. There's something else that you need to know, and I'm going to teach you those things. They confessed, up to this point they had confessed that they knew who he was. He got it right. But now they would need to learn why He came. They knew who He was. See, to know why He came and not, knew, not know who He is, it makes all the difference in the world. But to know who He is, He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He's deity in flesh. To understand now why He came, now He starts pointing their attention towards the cross. So when... He starts teaching them about the cross to understand who He is. To understand now where He's going. To die on the cross for the sins of the world. Oh, it's unfathomable. It's unimaginable. But for us, even today, to know who He is. And we look back To the cross. We look back at the cross and understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in all of His holiness, no sin whatsoever, He died on the cross for you and for me. That ought to explode our minds as well. Who am I that a king would bleed and die Who am I that a king would say, not my will, but thine Lord? The answer I may never know. Why to an old rugged cross he'd go for, who am I? Who am I that Jesus would do this for me? But that's exactly what we're seeing. And he says to his disciples, you know who I am. Now you need to see why I have come. In verse number 31 of our text, and he began to teach them. That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. Here we see a demanding question. A divine proclamation. But out of verse number 31 we see a determined plan. A determined plan. Out of verse number 31 there are three specific elements if you will, who make up this determined plan. Notice, he says, he must suffer many things. He goes on to say the rejection, rejected of the scribes and the elders, the chief priests, that's part of the suffering. So the elements that make up the determined plan, why Christ came, he must suffer. He goes on to say the next element, notice with me, be killed. He must be killed. And after three days, again, it does not do harm to the text. It adds Ephesus, And I believe it's there. It's implied. He must, after three days, rise again. Now, who is it that he's talking about here? Verse number 31, we see it very clearly. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man. Who is it that's That this verse is describing. Who's he talking about? The son of man. This is none other than Jesus Christ. The servant savior. The son of man. Verse number 32. He began to speak that saying openly. And and Peter took him. And began to rebuke him. Uh, Peter upon hearing. The next. Series of events. And what's about to take place. Peter. Peter. He begins to rebuke the Lord. This plan that Jesus now begins to unfold to them about what's going to happen, the suffering, the killing. It's unthinkable to His disciples. He's the Christ, the Son of the living God. How can He ever suffer? How could He ever die? How could this be? They had... See all that Christ has done. They've heard all that Christ has said. How could this thing now be? Certainly the Lord must have gotten it wrong. Certainly this is not the reason He came. Certainly this is not why He has come. And so Peter, can you imagine such a thing? Peter, the Bible tells us that he takes the Lord. Peter hears what Christ says. And he hears the divine plan, the determined plan. And he, the Bible says he takes the Lord. He took him. Now I got the idea. And the idea of taking is simply uh, the, the truth out of that verse and out of that text, out of that part there. Is he took him by the arm. He maybe took him by the hand. Have you ever been in a place where a young child, maybe it's your child, maybe it's your grandchild. Where they've just been acting out. And so in order to get their attention, what do you do? You reach over there very gently, and you take them, and you pull them aside, and say, listen to me here. Can't you just see Peter doing this kind of thing? Lord takes him by the, maybe by the arm, maybe puts his hand around his waist, and he pulls him off to the side. Can't you just see him him pulling his mouth up to the ear of Jesus? and says, not so, Lord. This thing will never happen to you. Lord, you must have it wrong. The Bible says that Peter rebuked him. Webster's Dictionary says that the word rebuke means to chasten, to correct, to restrain. Matthew's account says, That Peter said, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Can you imagine? Can any of us imagine rebuking the Lord? After seeing all that he's done? The rebuking the Lord? Can you imagine such a thing as this? What in the world was Peter thinking here? It's a good question. But let me follow up with this one. What are we thinking when we rebuke the Lord? What are we thinking when we rebuke the Lord? What are we thinking when we say no to God's determined plan? What are we thinking when we say no to God? Who are we to correct God when He shows His will for our lives? I want you to be a missionary. I want you to be a pastor. I just want you to live godly. I want you to live godly in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I want you to put away the sin that's there. The sin that's before you. I want you to live holy. I want you to be a salt and light into a world. And we say, not so Lord. Who are we to say no to God's plans? And go our own way. Who are we to correct the Lord? Who are we to rebuke and reject God's plan for us? We see Peter and say, how foolish can he be? He's saying God's plan will not work. God's plan is unthinkable. It's even ridiculous. Peter needs to enlighten the Lord with some truth. How foolish. But are we... The same so often. Aren't we just as foolish as Peter so often. Even more so. When we reject Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ says come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. When Jesus says call upon me. And I will hear and answer your prayers. When Jesus says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Thou shalt be saved. And we say not so Lord. I've got a better plan. I've got a better idea. I'll work my way to heaven. I'll join a church, a denomination, to get to heaven. I'll give a little more money to get to heaven. I'll be better than my neighbor in order to get to heaven. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And we say, not so, Lord. Let me give you my version of it. I'm calling you to serve me to get busy in a local church, to teach a Sunday school class, to go out and bring kids in on the buses so that they might hear the gospel. We're going into a missions conference uh, and and, and I want you to to trust me by faith and step out by faith and surrender to the call of God in your life. Not so, Lord. I've got a better plan. I've got these other things on the burner here and I've got to get those things done first. How foolish. How foolish are we? So much more so than even repeater is at times. The cross was a determined plan. A determined plan. Calvary was a determined place. And Jesus Christ was a determined person. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Understand the cross was no accident. The cross was no accident. Jesus Christ was not a good man Who was caught up in a bad time, in a bad situation. Jesus Christ was not a good man who became a martyr. He's the Lamb of God. The cross was the purpose for His coming. The purpose for His coming. The Son of Man must suffer. He must be killed. But please note, I think it's interesting, that what else Jesus said. The Son of Man must, after three days, rise again. I look forward to Easter Sunday. But let me say this. I look forward to every Sunday. Every Sunday is a celebration. The fact that the tomb is empty. That's why we celebrate. That's why we get together the first day of the week. we celebrate a risen Savior, not a dead law. As some people try to celebrate. I enjoy... Sundays. I enjoy being with you. I like the preaching. I don't know if you do, but I like the preaching. I like the singing. I like the fellowship. I enjoy the Sunday school class. I enjoy everything about being with you, God's people. I enjoy the Word of God. I like to hear it preached. I like to hear it read. I like to hear it when it's in song. You see, Jesus Christ is the center of it all. He's not just some man that got caught up in, in a, a bad time, in a bad situation. Not just a, a matter of just social injustice. Hear a lot about that today. You see, it's interesting that the disciples seem to have a bad case of selective hearing. Do your wives ever tell you, men, that you have selective hearing? How about the other way around? Has it ever been said to you, you hear what you want to hear and you do not hear what you do not want to hear? I never understood that. How do I not hear what I don't want to hear? That means I've heard it and I just chose to reject it or rebel against it. These disciples seem to have a... Bad case of selective hearing. They heard about the suffering. They heard about the killing. But they didn't get the three days, after three days, rise again. to come up out of the tomb. Let me read you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. We've been going through 1 Corinthians for quite some time on Wednesday. And we've been uh, not stuck, but we've been studying through 1 Corinthians 15. And it's all about the resurrection. Listen how it starts out. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. You see, they got the first two things, but they didn't get the last thing. The most important thing. The the part, you see, you leave out any part of that, then you no longer have the Gospel And what they needed to get a hold of and what they needed to understand was the gospel was the thing that the church would be built upon. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The cross was God's plan. Next several Sundays tonight and more than likely next week we'll Just spend our time surveying the cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. The cross was God's plan, the reason why He came. The cross is the payment for sin. Who's sin? I think we all could raise our hands. Let me back up. I know we all can raise our hands. Who's sin? Your sin. My sin. The cross was God's plan. The reason why He came. The cross was the payment for sin. My sin. It was a picture of Christ's love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a picture. This, this past Friday we had a picture of love. Wouldn't it good? It's certainly a blessing. Watch two young people get married. Begin their life together. You know what that is? It's a picture. It's an outward proclamation of something that was already in the heart. It was a picture of love. When Jesus Christ came to this old, wicked, sinful, planet earth. It was a picture of his love for us. The cross also provides forgiveness. It provides forgiveness. Aren't you glad to be forgiven? sin did abound, grace did much more abound. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Isn't it good to be forgiven? Isn't it good not to have the guilt? Isn't it good to know that you're right with God? You see, the cross provides forgiveness. There's nothing that you've ever done. No place you've ever been. No thought that you've ever thought that the blood of Jesus Christ won't cleanse that sin. It won't forgive that sin. You come in here this morning with a burden of sin on your heart. With a life that you know is not right with God. Jesus Christ came and He went to the cross so that that could be forgiven. So that you can go out free. Free indeed. The cross was God's plan. The cross is God's payment. The cross was God's picture of love. It's the, uh, it provides forgiveness. The cross produces salvation. Produces salvation. How in the world does a man get to heaven? It's going to have to go by way of the cross. Can't go any other way. We've talked about it multiple times. It's Bible. You can't go any other way. You'll not go by doing good works or good deeds or being better than the next fella. You'll not go by being religious. You'll go by way of the cross. Accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The cross produces salvation. It's the only thing that can produce salvation. And the cross not only produces salvation. But in salvation the cross promises eternal life forever. Hallelujah to that. Eternal life forever. Because He lives we too shall live. It promises eternal life Peter didn't understand it yet. The the Jews despised it. The world rejects it. But in order to be saved, you must accept it. You must accept it. The cross was for you. But you have to make it yours. You see, the cross is available. It's available to all. But you have to make it yours. We've seen many times the... Simple illustration of the gospel, and, and, and if someone had a gift and they were going to walk up and, and say, I, "I really want to give you a gift, and, and this is a gift, I, man. It, it's I've sacrificed to provide this gift, and I want you to have it." And here it is. When does the gift become yours? The gift is not yours as long as it's in my hand. The gift is not yours as long as I have it. The gift becomes yours when you receive it when you take it from the one that's giving it's a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast have you received you've known of the gift the gift has been extended have you received the gift has there been a time in your life when you accepted Jesus Christ and him alone to be your Savior that's why he came the cross Was why He came. He came to die for you and for me. You must accept it. You must receive it. Have you received the cross for salvation? Don't reject it. Don't rebuke it. Only receive it. Only receive it this morning. We sing oftentimes a hymn penned by Isaac Watts. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. Is that you? Have you received the cross of Jesus Christ? If not, can I beg you this morning? Receive it. Don't reject it. Don't rebuke it. Receive it this morning. You can do that. It's available. It's available. Let's bow our hearts in prayer.